Okay, good evening. Let's grab a seat. Well, if you're new with us and um, don't know what we're doing, sometimes we don't even know what we're doing. Uh, we are working our way through First Peter on Wednesday nights. Um, we've taken a little detour from First Peter, actually using chapter 4, verse 10, is a springboard to kind of launch us into a study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 of chapter 4 reads, As each one has received a gift. That was our launching off point. Of course, he's talking about a gift of the Holy Spirit. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As we've already said, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are vital to the overall health and function of the local church, which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, we must not be ignorant of these gifts. We must not be ignorant to what they are and how they function. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, the most comprehensive list of the gifts comes out of 1 Corinthians 12. And so for the last few weeks, we've been working our way through this list of the gifts that Paul gives us here. This is not the only place, as we have pointed out before. We'll look at some other spots, but... Um, Primarily, we'll be looking at the gifts from 1 Corinthians 12, and then actually 14. We'll pick up tongues and prophecy, uh, because Paul really gets into those in detail. But uh, last week, we looked at the gift of faith, and then we started to look at the gifts of healing. But just briefly, just quickly, as we said last time, the gift of faith is a supernatural infusion of faith given to you by the Holy Spirit that suddenly comes upon you. It just it comes out of nowhere and causes you to believe without a doubt. I mean, it's just overwhelming faith, okay, that God is going to uh, work a miracle, bring about a healing, provide a need, or work in some other way as the situation calls for. As we said last week, it is a special temporary giving of supernatural faith by the Holy Spirit that really allows you to become a channel through which the power of God can flow. Now, this is different from everyday faith, all right? everyday faith um, that's something we choose to walk in the more we do the more our faith grows so regular everyday faith is like a muscle the more you exercise it uh, the more it grows stronger and it's, it's the just shall live by faith kind of faith but the gift of faith is something god chooses to give us when he wants to do something powerful even supernatural i guess we could argue everything god does is supernatural all right, the next gift Paul mentions in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 12. We started last week, but it was a, it's a big topic, so we didn't finish it. We'll, you know, try to pick up where we left off, but we want to kind of back up and get a running start. Um, this gifts of, of healing is, without a doubt, one of the most popular in the body of Christ in charismatic circles. But it's also one of the most controversial. So we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, talks about to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit now as we said last week all sickness can be traced back to adam's sin in the garden of eden before before the fall there was no sickness in the world uh, well it was only adam and eve but okay there was no no sickness uh, in the two of them they weren't intended to grow old of course they were not intended by god to die but uh, when they disobeyed god and i'm thinking primarily adam he was the federal head. He was the one God had placed uh, in charge. 
And uh, even though Eve ate the forbidden fruit first, when she gave to Adam and he did eat, as the Bible says, that's what caused the fall. That's what caused the devil to become the uh, world's new owner and man's new master. And of course, it was then that things were introduced into the world like sickness and ultimately death. And it's wrong to look. And I know that evangelical Christians don't do this. But unbelievers all the time look at this world, how messed up it is. And they want to blame God for all the horrible diseases and injustices that we see. But all of this is the consequence of sin. Now, we're focused on disease because we're talking about healing, okay? All sickness, disease, as I said, is attributable to sin. Some of that directly. In other words, if a person lives an immoral sexual life and they contract AIDS... Or, I just read today about this new uh, super gonorrhea that is uh, immune to known antibiotics. A person who fools around like that and lives a promiscuous life, an immoral life as God has forbidden, and they contract something like this, that disease is the consequence of their lifestyle. But then, of course, you have children who are born with deformities, uh, blindness, deafness, other handicaps. They didn't do anything personally to bring that on themselves. But see, they're just reaping the consequences of Adam's sin. He sinned for all of us. When he sinned, it opened the door for all kinds of diseases and genetic malformities to, to happen, which causes disease and, and defects and so on. But it can all be traced back to sin. Now, of course, someday God has promised us he's going to give us new bodies and a new world to live in where there won't be any sickness, any pain, and no death. You can read Revelation 21, verse 4, and other places. But until then, guys, we have to live with the consequences of sin, and a big part of that is sickness. Now, in his mercy, in his mercy, God will often give a person a healing from their physical infirmities. As we pointed out last time, divine healing was a major part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had a unique ministry as Messiah. In fact, he even said in John 14, 11, he said it to his disciples. This is in the upper room the night before the cross. He said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works, the miracles themselves. Now, here's the thing. Jesus Christ had a unique ministry, and as I said, healing was a big part of that. You have to understand, though, that was because God had said in the Old Testament that Messiah, when he came, would, would give sight to the blind, would cause the mute to speak the praises of God, the, the lame to jump for joy, and so on. One of the signs of Messiah, now there was all kinds of false messiahs that had come before and even after Christ. How would the Jewish people know the true Messiah? Well, God had said beforehand, when I send him, he will speak on my behalf, and he will work miracles and healings and so on. Now, we are following in our Lord's footsteps. When he ascended back to the Father before he did that, after his resurrection, uh, he empowered his church to go forth and to continue the work 
he began. In fact, guys, even before he went to the cross and rose again, you remember while he was still with his disciples, at one point he sent them out with power to heal diseases and so on. We read in Matthew 10, verse 1, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Verse 7 he said, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely. You have received freely give. The gifts of God are not for sale. They are given. And Jesus wants us to understand everything we have received from God, all the blessings we have received from him, you know, we're to share. And especially with regard to ministry and the anointing he's put upon us for whatever a gift he's given us to use for his glory, we're never to charge. I don't charge for anything. Uh, you know, people ask me, well, you know, I'd like you to do our wedding, what do you charge? I don't charge anything. You want to give something fine. If you don't, that's fine. A couple of people have taken me up on that. They've given me nothing. That's okay, but I, it's all right. I mean, I, I said it, and I mean it. Now, after his resurrection, before he ascended back to the Father, he then commissioned his disciples to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel, as Mark records, he said uh, at this time, Mark 16, starting with verse 17, he said, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I don't have time to get into that other stuff, he said. Go online and listen to our Mark study, chapter 16. All right? He wasn't saying go ahead and play with snakes, entertain people, show them you're invincible. No. In the context of missionary work, in the context of going out, preaching the gospel, in all kinds of hostile environments, I'll be with you. Okay, But the last part, uh, you're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, we see this actually taking place in the book of Acts. Uh, after Jesus ascended back to his father, then they went back to the upper room. And uh, 10 days later, on the Feast of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. They were all filled with the Spirit. The church was officially born, and they went out, as he had said. And um, God worked in a very powerful way through them uh, to heal. And we know primarily through the ministries in the book of Acts of Peter and Paul, uh, they demonstrated remarkable uh, power that God gave them to heal and so on. In fact, one... Um, a story uh, out of Acts 19 uh, where it says, Now God worked unusual miracles, but <laughs> unusual miracles. All the miracles are kind of unusual, aren't they? These must have been really unusual miracles. By the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs, the Greek is sweatbands. He was a laborer, he worked making tents, he put the sweatband on, you know, and, and then at the end of the day, he take it off, throw it down, somebody grab it, and run it over to a sick person, lay it on them. And, uh, and uh, the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So even his sweatpants had power, okay? Reminds me of a story, you'll have to forgive me. I teach three studies a week, and I don't remember what group I said what to. All right, so don't roll your eyes. If I, uh, I heard this already twice this year. Um, there's a story that my pastor shared years ago about a guy in the radio, a Christian guy. And uh, he was a pretty good guy. All right, he had a pretty good ministry. He believed in healing, okay? And at one point, he said, look um, to his audience, he said, uh, I've got these prayer cloths, 
and they're not magical. They're just meant to a point of contact. You get one and just like the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' robe and knew that she'd be healed. You know, a point of contact, not a magic robe, not a magic prayer cloth, but just little squares of, of cloth. And uh, in fact, Chuck was telling the story because he said, he, he, this guy asked me to come over. We would lay hands on these prayer cloths and pray over them that whoever received one would be healed and so on. And the guy says, you know, you write in and I'll send, you know, it was free. And if you want to give a donation, fine, but, but it's free. And so this one uh, older woman who listened to the program wrote in and she had gotten one of these prayer cloths and she had it on the table, just got it, and had it on the table. Well, uh, her son came over, uh, him and his wife were on their way over to the, uh, to the opera, I think it was. And um, so he would start talking to his mom and, and what is that on the table? Oh, that's my prayer cloth I just sent away, you know, to this ministry. And for some reason, I don't know if the guy was a believer or not, but for some reason... He takes it and stick it in his pocket. The fur cloth goes off to the, you know, to the theater. It was the theater, and uh, at one point, he says to his wife during the, the show, he said, "I smell smoke." She said, "You smell smoke. You haven't smelled anything in years. Your olfactory senses have been wiped out. You don't, you don't smell anything." I smell smoke. Oh, you're crazy. After about a minute or two, he gets up, goes down to the front of the theater, says, "Ladies and gentlemen." We have an emergency. Please get out of your seats quietly and move quickly to the exit. He ushers everybody out of the theater on his own. As soon as the last person leaves, the whole thing bursts into flames. And so the woman, the mom, wrote to the guy in the ministry, will you please send me another prayer cloth because my son won't give it back to me. <laughs> so, so God does do unusual things, okay? They're not the norm, but then again, no miracle is. But even among miracles, there are some very interesting things that God, God's God. Okay, if he wants to do something really out there, really kind of beyond the norm with regard to even the supernatural, he can do that, right? Look, I, I believe, not only because of a story like that, but I've heard many stories. I believe in the power of God to heal and that he is still healing today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And yet, guys, there are many Christians. Now, these would be our Pentecostal, uh, charismatic brothers and sisters. God love them. They, they love the Lord, you know. Uh, but there's, there's many of these folks who take divine healing to an extreme, who believe that divine healing is a promise that God has given to all of his children. In fact, it is our divine right. It's our divine birthright. Once we're born again, part of our birth right now is that we have the right to perfect health. And, and the logic goes like this. Since sickness came as a result of sin, right? There was no sickness until Adam sinned, all right? Because sickness came about in the world as a result of sin, and Jesus went to the cross eventually, and he died for our sins, Paul said, taking them out of the way, Right? Well, if he took our sins out of the way, forgave us, took them out of the way because of what he did on Calvary's cross, then doesn't it stand to reason that the consequences of sin, i.e. sickness, also was taken away? Now, that's logical. Here's the thing I want you never to forget. Something can sound logical but not be biblical. Okay? So be careful. A lot of these groups, they make very logical, present very logical arguments. 
If you don't know your Bible, you're thinking, well, that makes sense. Okay, great, it makes sense, but is it biblical? Is it biblical? And um, I have pointed out to these people, because, I mean, again, I mean, they just believe that through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, sin was paid for, it was taken out of the way, and therefore the consequences of sin should be taken out of the way, which is sickness, and so we should all be healed. We should all be well. That's our birthright. We're children of God. That's what he's promised us. But he hasn't promised us that. He hasn't promised us that. I have pointed out to these folks that death was also... I had a guy come to the church years ago. He was into all this word of faith teaching. It didn't last real long, but he was into it. Okay, and I wasn't. And he explained to me this very thing I just explained to you. And I said to him, but I said, you know, physical death was also the result of sin. And so if you're saying that Jesus on the cross, he atoned for our sins, which he did, and took him out of the way... Well, if sickness was then taken out of the way, because after all, that was a result of sin, well, then physical death should be taken out of the way too. We should never die as Christians. I mean, we should. In fact, God should just keep healing our bodies. It's our divine right, isn't it? He should just keep healing our bodies until the rapture. We should. All of us should make it to the rapture. But of course, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Of course, his comeback was, "Well, we don't die. We live forever in heaven." Uh, you can't apply one thing practically. And the other thing, spiritually. It is what it is. If you're right, you'd be right across the board. But that's the problem. Again, they, they, people cling on to these things that sound logical. They're not biblical. All right? Look, guys, just because God said he would use us as Christians, as instruments on earth, to continue the ministry of Jesus, which would include being used by God to heal folks, lay hands on them, and so on, that doesn't take away from the uniqueness of Jesus' ministry. I know that Jesus went into some villages and healed everybody. I've never heard of anybody who's done that. They look at Jesus and go, well, here, Jesus did it. I should be able to do it. You're not Jesus. Jesus had a unique ministry to a large degree because people need to know he was from the Father. Believe because of the words I speak, but if not for the words I speak, for the works that I do, the miracles. They testify to who I am that I am the Son of God, that I am the Messiah. And just because Jesus gave to us the power to continue on in his name, the work he began, and part of that involves healing, of course, that doesn't mean he has given us as his people the power to heal at will. Nor does it promise us that we ourselves would be healed all the time from everything. As we're going to see, plenty, men and women of God who love the Lord, very strong Christians uh, suffered with physical disease and infirmities and so on. But you all remember 1 John. You can turn to 1 John 5. I think this is a pivotal couple of verses for this subject because there's a lot of Christians who teach that we have the right to heal at will. We uh, have been given the power to heal, to cast out demons, and to heal all, all sickness and disease. Christians should never be sick. If you're sick and you're a child of God, either you're not right with God or you're not saved or you have no faith. Read the book of Job. That's what his, that's what his buddy said. Okay? And at the end, God doesn't deal too well with them. Okay? Uh, but, but look, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. John said, This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his what? His will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions 
that we have asked of him. And they say, well, but, but it is his will. You know, okay, whatever we ask according to his will, but it's his will that we all be healed. All right, well, now we need to explore that a little bit. But let me just say this. Not even Jesus himself healed everyone, okay? He healed everyone his father directed him to heal. He said, I only do those things that my father has directed me to do. Even the Lord Jesus Christ could not heal at will. A case in point would be John 5. You don't have to turn there. But remember when Jesus walked into the pool of Bethesda. And there was probably hundreds of people all over the place. Because the idea was, whenever an angel, which would periodically walk down into the water, how did they know it was an angel in the water? Because the waters would suddenly start to shake and, and, and splash and stuff. And the first one into the water after the angel troubled the water was healed. Well, this one guy who had been lame for, I don't know, I think since birth or something, I forgot how many years, was laying there. Jesus walks into this area and says to him, do you want to be healed? Well, I can't because I can't get down into the water fast enough. Every time the water is troubled, somebody beats me. Jesus didn't say, I didn't ask you if you could make it down to the water. Do you want to be healed? Well, then... Stand up, take up your bed, and walk. He heals this guy and then leaves. He could have healed hundreds of people. Why didn't he do that? Because his father did not tell him to do that. Even the Lord Jesus couldn't heal at will. He was subject to his father's will through the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that. Now, guys, I want you to see something. Did you notice that when Paul was talking about the gift so far, he said the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gifts, plural, of healing. Do you notice that? The gifts of healing, right? What does that mean as opposed to the gift of healing? Well, let me tell you what I think it means. And I'll explain it as best I can. Um, we can't heal at will, obviously. But if Paul would have said that God gives us some the gift of healing, it would kind of imply that there's an unlimited number of people they could heal if God directs them. But by saying to some, he gives gifts of healing. I kind of look at it this way. Imagine that uh, the Holy Spirit walks up to you and says, here's five gifts of healing. And over the course of your ministry, I'm going to direct you whom to give them to. You're going to be used to heal five people in the course of your ministry. Now, he isn't actually laid out like that, Okay. We don't know how many gifts of healing he gives a person who is called to that. But we'll, I'm just saying for the sake of argument, let's just say it's five. When those five gifts of healing are used up, since that person, you and I, we don't have the power to heal within us. It, it's We're just giving to people what the Holy Spirit wants to do in their life. A gift of healing to you. A gift of healing to you. I'm wondering if somebody refuses the gift and you walked over and gave it to somebody else. I think that probably would work too. And again, I was talking to this gentleman years ago. He was trying to explain to me that the Bible teaches that God heals us all the time from everything. I said, well, where do you get that? Well, it took me to Psalm 103, where the psalmist said, Bless the Lord who heals all your diseases. Okay, well, sounds like he's got a verse there, all right? Except when you... Take that interpretation and lay it next to the scriptures in every other Old and New Testament. You see that many godly people were not healed of diseases. So we can't really, it doesn't meet the, the test, okay? 
you, you have a verse or you have a doctrine that you think is biblical, put it next to you know other scriptures or put it next to the scriptures to see if it lines up. I mean, the scripture is the standard, right? You're telling me Psalm 103 teaches that God heals us from every disease we get. But do we see that in the Old and New Testament? No, we don't. So here's the way I believe God would interpret that for us. It's not that God would heal every disease you would get, but that any time you are healed of a disease, it is God who does it. Because all healing comes from God. Now, it doesn't mean we are healed all the time of every disease. But of the diseases that we get and we are healed of, God does that. Now, he may use a doctor, or he may do it supernaturally. The question is, guys, why don't we see more supernatural healings in the church in America? Now, in third world countries, uh, there are many reports of God healing all kinds of people from all kinds of disease in very dramatic ways. Why don't we see more of that in America? I'll give you three reasons just quickly. First of all, many Christians in our country don't really believe God still heals or God will heal them. So it fosters unbelief in their heart. And as you read Matthew 13, verse 58, it says that Jesus Christ, having grown up in Nazareth, could not do many mighty things among them. And the idea is miracles, healings, because of their unbelief. So he does a few, heals a few colds and some minor things. But he couldn't do many mighty things among them because of their unbelief. Too many Christians depend more on doctors, medical technology, and medicine to heal them, rather on God himself. Now, we are blessed to live in a country where we have probably the best medical care in the world. We have the finest hospitals and doctors and specialists. I'm speaking in general terms. And it's easy to begin to put your faith and trust in medical science and in the professionals because they're very gifted. And uh, we live in a, at a time when medical technology is advanced to the point where doctors can heal a lot of things that used to, I remember we went on vacation years ago to uh, West Virginia went to historic Williamsburg and we we you know they had a uh, they had like an authentic reproduction of a street back then with different businesses and one was um, like an apothecary where they would dole out herbal medicines basically but they were saying back in those days uh, appendicitis was almost always fatal I mean something like that today is nothing but back then it was life-threatening uh, and, and often fatal. Uh, so we thank God for giving us doctors uh, and, and medicine and so on. But the problem is we can, we can put too much faith in those things. And a lot of Christians do so that when, and you couple this with the fact that they're not being taught God really still heals anymore today. So if doctors and hospitals can't fix the problem, they lose heart and uh, hope, okay? Now, guys, as we said, sometimes God will use doctors and medicines to heal. You remember the story of King Hezekiah back in the uh, book of Isaiah, thinking of Isaiah chapter 38. You don't have to turn there, but he got sick one day uh, from some kind of a, uh, a boil. I'm, I'm thinking it was some kind of a, maybe even a cancerous lesion. Uh, it was life-threatening, whatever it was, right? He was, in fact, God told uh, Isaiah, you go tell Hezekiah, get his house in order. He's, go he's coming home. 
And Hezekiah rolled over in bed, turned his face against the wall, and began to weep. And basically said, Lord, haven't I been a good king? Haven't I honored you all my life? You know, I, you know, why can't you heal me kind of a thing? You know, I want to go home. And so God, Isaiah hadn't even hit the court yet. Yeah, he's got to go back. Tell him I'll, give him, I'll heal him and give him 15 more years. Here's what you do, Isaiah. You make a poultice out of figs, put that on the boil, and he'll recover. So I don't know what this... I don't know what this boil was, or but this poultice, which was a, you know, a medicine kind of a thing, was used to heal. Now, could God have just spoke the disease away? Of course he could. Why did he do it this way? He's God. Why did he need a poultice? He didn't. So why did he have Isaiah do that? To teach us that sometimes God will use like natural remedies or doctors to heal us. It's not all supernatural stuff in the sense that we think of. Okay, But we need to balance that, guys with what happened to King Asa when he got sick. Turn to Second Chronicles 16. I think this is a good one to keep in mind. Okay? Sometimes God will use doctors and medicines to heal us, but here's uh, something to be careful of. Second Chronicles 16, verse 12. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians only. And so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. So the implication is pretty clear, isn't it? Because he didn't seek the Lord and only sought doctors, God let him die. There's a balance. You pray for God to heal you. If he doesn't, go see a doctor. But let prayer be your first option, okay? Not your last resort. Number two, I think another reason we don't see God heal more today in our country is because of, let's be honest, because of all the phony healing ministries around that have created a lot of suspicion and skepticism with regard to divine healing so that many don't think it's a real thing. And that's how Satan works, you know. Bring in enough error and enough false junk alongside this, the real stuff and people lose faith in the good stuff because of all the bad junk you get enough of these goofy faith healers and boy are they the theatrics is in, in, incredible uh how they carry on and you know i saw one guy waving his coat you know to heal and as he's waving it people are falling down i'm thinking if i was an unbeliever and i'm watching this i'm thinking get out of my house and turn the tv off and i would never set foot in a church because of this goofiness, all right? And because of it, the devil has poisoned a lot of people, people that might be healed if they had just believed God, but because of all the goofiness and all the phony baloney stuff, I think a lot of people just write it all off and don't think any of it's legitimate. And number three, and here's a hard one for people to get their, their mind around, many people, there are many times that God will, will allow sickness in the lives of his people that he doesn't heal, because it glorifies him and benefits us. Turn to John 11. A lot of people have a real hard time with that concept because they are convinced God wants us all healed all the time. To say that God will use sickness for his glory is, a, is anathema to them. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The Lord was very close to these three people, two sisters and her brother, very close to them, spent a lot of time 
in their house when he was in the area. Verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the Son of God may be glorified through it. Sometimes God will allow his people to be sick because in some way it brings him glory. And we have to be willing to understand that when we became Christians, uh, well, Jesus said, count the cost first. Because sometimes God will put us through things. It, look, it's a hurting world out there. A lot of people are sick. If sickness didn't touch God's people once in a while, they couldn't relate to us. And maybe not, we, we couldn't relate to them. So it's always more powerful to minister to somebody who knows you, you've been there or you are there. That then you can have an open door to them. Okay, But we know that Timothy had stomach problems. And they were pretty severe. No doubt Paul prayed over him many times to be healed. When it became apparent that God wasn't going to heal Timothy supernaturally, then Paul suggested a medicinal remedy. He said, take a little wine for your frequent stomach problems. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said that he left Trophimus in Miletus sick. 2 Tim 4.20. Now, if divine healing was our birthright, and it was God's will that his children always be healed, I think Paul would have said, Hey, Tro, bro, let me tell you something, man. It's your divine right to be healed. What are you sick for? No, Paul said, I left him in, in Miletus sick, and so on. I mean, Paul himself had a chronic infirmity. In fact, it was so severe that he even had his own personal physician accompany him on these missionary journeys. His name was Luke, of course, who was a physician. But in 2 Corinthians 12, once you turn there real quick, 2 Corinthians 12, you all know it, but we're talking about this. Starting with verse 7, Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations God gave to me, is what he's saying. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He said, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, we can, and people have debated what exactly was Paul, what was his thorn uh, for Paul? It was The Greek is tent stake, not a little thorn of a rose. This is like a tent stake stake whatever this thing was that satan was hitting paul with it was like a stake being driven into him it was that severe some kind of a physical problem and he prayed three times lord will you please take it from me and god did not and so here's paul's response well god said my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect in weakness again guys to me that torpedoes to pieces this idea that God's kids always get healed all the time because that's God's will. God said, no, I'm not going to heal you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul said, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in, in infirmities, in reproaches and needs, persecutions, distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Guys, why some are healed and others are not is a question that Christians have wrestled with since the beginning. 
It's a question that we're probably not going to get an answer to this side of heaven. Uh, I think it falls under the Deuteronomy 29, 29 category, the secret things belong to the Lord. Someday we'll find out, okay? But I know this, often whether a person gets healed or not uh, has nothing to do with that person's spirituality or godliness. I have seen some very godly people die young of cancer and some wicked people live long lives and die of natural causes. Don't condemn yourself for not being healed because the devil wants to pound on you, especially when you're weak. When you're weakest, you're really at a low point maybe because you're going through physical infirmity and the devil wants to pound on you by telling you God doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, you're a lousy Christian, he's written you off, he wants, he's wants nothing to do with you. Don't listen to that. Okay, it's just the devil's condemnation. Um, why God doesn't heal some and heals others, that's up to him. He is what's called sovereign. He knows why he wants to do it. We don't. But he does whatever he wants, and we don't question him. We don't question him. And guys, don't let those who are involved in quote-unquote healing ministries tell you, well, if you had enough faith, you would be healed. Remember the great hall of faith, Hebrews 11, which talks about some of the greatest examples of faith in history. Read that again. How many very godly men and women suffered disease, persecution, and poverty, of whom it says in chapter 11, verse 38, of whom the world wasn't worthy. And part of it was because they did go through such difficult times. And they kept their faith. And they walked with God in the midst of it all. They were shining examples to the rest of us of how as Christians we are not going to have an easy road. We are not promised we're going to have uh, you know, prosperity and physical health all the time. Sometimes very godly people, God's kids, can get sick and die young. While some very ungodly, wicked people can die natural causes uh, late in life. I have seen people with great faith not be healed, and some people with no faith God has healed. All we can do is trust Him. No matter what happens in our lives, as Job said, though He what? Slay me, yet I will still trust Him. That's faith. That's it. Faith is not saying, if you do for me what I ask, I'll believe in you. True faith says, I will believe in you no matter what you allow Come into my life. That's what Job was expressed. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So you go ahead and just commit your ways to God. You continue to um, walk with him and serve him and um, whatever he chooses for our lives we just submit to now, what do we do when we do get sick? Well, we do what we're supposed to do. Uh, we talk to other Christians that we know um, and ask them to pray for us. We call for the elders of the church to come and anoint us with oil, as James said, uh, and then pray over those who are sick, the elders, and then we trust God to heal us. But if he doesn't heal us, we still believe in his love for us. We still believe in his goodness toward us. Just don't look to foolish gimmicks and uh, formulas that will kind of, uh, you know, where you can kind of buy your healing. What do I mean? Well, again, a lot of these ministries on TV, they're nothing but hucksters. 
I remember years ago uh, seeing a, actually Channel Seven exposed this this huckster who was really tearing it up in Texas. I mean, he, he lived in this tri-state area. He had several thousand people coming. Uh, he was on TV. Was well known, and um, he was one of these guys. You know, um, you know, send us in your prayer requests. We pray in this ministry for people. We want to pray over your needs. And, and when you send in your prayer requests, we uh, maybe send in a, a nice donation for this ministry so that the work of God can continue, that kind of thing, right? Well, Channel 7 planted a camera uh, or uh, had a guy, uh, you know, incognito, uh, filming the back of this ministry where the garbage dumpsters were. And they saw these people coming out and dumping bags of prayer requests into the dumpster. What was going on was they had orders to open the envelopes up, take the checks out, and throw the rest away. And, and this happens a lot. These ministries will tell you all kinds of things. And, and when people are sick and hurting and doctors have not been able to help them, that's when they're more open to try. They're desperate. And I've seen uh, <laughs> amazing, you know, uh, send in, you know, because uh, you know, uh, we, we have these, um, these special anointed gloves. We will send you, you put your hand in it, and lay hands on somebody that's sick, and they'll get better. And all it was was like one of those little chintzy plastic gloves that you see in the fast food thing, like a little baggie with fingers. Well, people are desperate, right? And so it's like, well, maybe this will work. Now, maybe God has healed somebody that's had one of those plastic gloves laid on them. Does that uh, validate the plastic glove? No. It just means that God honors the heart. If a person just was truly wanting God so badly to heal, he'll heal in spite. You know, he spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. That doesn't validate the ministry of donkeys. Although there's a lot of donkeys in the pulpit today. But uh, you get the idea. All right? God may still heal, but that doesn't validate the whole ministry, which is corrupt many times and just uh, making merchandise off of people, as Peter warned against. Um, and, and one other thing, if you don't get healed after you've prayed and had the elders lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, don't let Satan tell you that God isn't healing you because he doesn't love you. Again, kicking you when you're down. Um, I think of Lazarus in John 11, and we read how the Lord loved him, but didn't heal him. And some would say, well, yes, he did. He raised him from the dead. Well, that wasn't a healing. It was a resurrection. You know, after somebody dies, the healing is off the table. Now, if God works a miracle of raising them from the dead, that's, you know. But, but, but that does bring up a good point. Someday, God will heal all of his kids by allowing us to die. Unless we're raptured, which we're rooting for. But someday, God is going to heal all of his children by allowing us to die many times through sickness, Right? And then raising us up with glorified bodies that will, listen, never get sick again. Years ago, and I'm going talking years ago, we had a lady come into the church, and she's a sweet gal. Pastor Mike remembers her, Jerry, and um, she's a sweet gal, and uh, she had been kind of raised in the Word of Faith movement. Now, she had a daughter and... Uh, a son, and then twin sons. These two twin sons were born with some kind of a handicap where they couldn't walk. 
And she had been praying for years, and her old church and all the Christians she used to know were telling her God was going to heal them. God's going to heal them. Just keep believing. Well, one day, she says she had a vision of her two sons in tuxedos standing upright, healed. And she believed God was telling her that by the time their sister gets married, they're going to attend her wedding healed. Well, the sister, her wedding came and went, and the boys still weren't healed. And she was still believing, but she was pretty devastated. And she was sharing with my wife one day, and Cindy said, you know, the Lord has spoken to me that that vision was not for this life, but someday when uh, the Lord comes and, you know, they're in the kingdom and for the marriage supper of the Lamb, they're going to be standing upright. That was the wedding. And they're going to be healed. Well, she got so upset because, you know, Cindy was trying to take her faith away from her. Well, we're not trying to take anyone's faith away from her. No. You, want, you want to believe that, believe it. But is it possible maybe you misinterpreted something God told you? Well, she got so upset that Cindy would dare to kind of try to steal her faith away. She said, I need to be around people that have faith like I have. And so she left the church. And she died eventually. And uh, her boys never were healed. Although if they're believers, they will be someday. Sometimes, guys, we want something so badly. We hear a voice inside of us that we believe is God telling us what we want. Maybe it is sometimes. Sometimes it's the imagination of our own heart talking. We have to be open to that. And, you know, no matter what God decides, I'm going to still trust him. I know he loves me. He doesn't promise that I'm going to always have an easy path ahead or that I'm always going to be healed from a disease. True faith trusts God no matter what. It doesn't dictate what God has to do to earn my faith in him. All right, we'll see if we can get through one more. In 1 Corinthians 12.10, Paul mentions another supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of miracles. Now, let me just set this up by saying a miracle is a supernatural event for which there is no natural explanation. Webster's defines a miracle as, and I quote, an event or action that apparently contradicts known scientific laws and is hence thought to be due to supernatural causes, especially to an act of God. Now, I want you to think about that. Did you notice the words apparently, first of all? Uh, apparently contradicts known scientific laws and hence thought to be due to supernatural causes. In other words, the folks over at Webster's seem to be saying that what many think is a miracle is actually nothing more than an event that utilizes, listen, unknown natural or scientific laws that are then mistaken for a supernatural occurrence. In other words, they're not really miracles at all, all right? And the way skeptics explain it would be like this. Okay, what if somebody in Paul's day, Paul the Apostle, what, what would they think if they saw a 747 taking off? Well, 
they probably think they were witnessing a miracle. They say, that's right, they would. But we know it's not a miracle at all. Since the discovery of the law of aerodynamics, which when, when put in operation will supersede or override the law of gravity, we know that a giant airplane taking off is not a miracle. It's just a scientific law coming into play. See, there are many who believe that miracles um, or supernatural events, they don't believe in them. They believe that all miracles in the Bible and down through history can be explained through natural laws. Even folks like the Christian scientists, they believe Jesus really didn't perform miracles. He was, in fact, a scientist who was simply ahead of his time, who understood the laws of science and used them to do things that folks back then thought were miracles but really weren't. He was just ahead of his time. He understood scientific and natural laws better than, than anyone else. And so he just put them into operation, and folks back then thought they were looking at a miracle. It really wasn't a miracle at all. Guys, the denial of God and the supernatural today is really due to a rationalistic, materialistic kind of a ideology that has taken captive the thinking of the scientific community for the most part in Western uh, civilization over the last two or three hundred years. This is the devil's way uh, he has used science, and, I, and I, I'm not anti-science. I'm anti-scientism. Science, the word literally means knowledge, and science by its very definition can only deal with what can be seen, observed, or reproduced in a laboratory. That which cannot be seen, observed, or reproduced in a laboratory doesn't fall under the heading of science if it's believed by scientists it's scientism it's a belief evolution has never been seen by the way we've never seen creation too we see the after effects we've never seen god speak it into existence right so the creation model and the evolutionary model are both matters of faith now if you want to believe in evolution that's fine i don't but that's fine, but don't call it science. Call it what is what it is, scientism. Because you're exercising faith in something you can't reproduce in the laboratory, you can't observe. So, you know, it, you, might, you can believe in it, but don't tell the rest of us what you believe is science and what we have is faith. That's untrue. It's untrue. They're both faith systems, and mine has a lot more evidence to back it up than yours, if you're an evolutionist. But uh, it's the devil's attempt to move us away from God. This has all been laying the groundwork for the Antichrist coming for many centuries. Okay, turn to Romans chapter 1. And again, you guys all know this, but let me read it to you, and I'll tell you why it's important. Romans 1, starting with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness so god has revealed himself to people through nature the creation and uh, chapter two he talks about through the conscience um, but people suppress that because they don't want to believe in god if they want to live on un unrighteously verse 19 because what may be known of god is manifest in them for god has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse you can't look out into creation and say God doesn't exist. It's not honest. It goes against 
the logic, logical mind God has given a person, and God will hold them accountable on the day of judgment for dismissing something that was obvious, clear. Uh, the creation is not um, ambiguous. It's not cloudy. It's absolutely clear that you can't have creation without a creator. You can't have an effect without a cause. Uh, you can't have a podium without a builder. And there he is back there. Pastor Mike built this years ago for us. You can't have a building without an architect and without, uh, you know, carpenters and so on. Every effect has to have a cause. And the creation is the divine effect of a supernatural God, right? Um, let, me, let me continue. Verse, um, verse 21. Because although they knew God, did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You turn away from the truth, and you open yourself up to lies, deception, and so on. Okay? You don't want the truth, that's fine. But then you open yourself up to the devil's lies. And that's what Paul's talking about. These folks who've rejected the truth because they want to live unrighteously, verse 22, professing to be wise, and don't they? Don't these people who, evolutionists and scientists, um, who are atheists and so on, don't they profess to be so wise? They laugh at us who are Christians. They think we're stupid. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Okay. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Guys, as people sought, this is what Paul is saying, as people sought to get rid of God and the supernatural, well, they then turned to naturalism naturalism is the reigning ideology of this world naturalism is the belief that everything came about through natural processes without any supernatural input from a divine being naturalism is a false religious system that goes against everything we believe because naturalism is what the evolutionists believe in uh scientists it, it's what our universities are uh, teaching all pretty much organized school from time kids are in, in elementary school, basically. They start learning about evolution. But um, it came about, the belief in naturalism, it came about because people did not want to believe in God. Interesting, years ago I read about Darwin and uh, how he came up with this theory of evolution. And um, when he first came up with it, I guess in the first foreword or something that he wrote, for his origin of species, uh, I forgot how many times he basically apologized for his theory. Um, and somebody I was listening to has, who has studied this, another teacher said that uh, actually what happened was Darwin wanted to explain the existence of everything apart from God because he didn't want to believe in hell and all the people that he knew and loved that would go there for eternity, so he just wanted to get rid of it all. Come up with an explanation that would uh, would be substituted for God. Well, of course, you know, he felt he had the basis for it scientifically, but uh, he, he didn't. And, um, but what happened was, as people began to turn away from God, they began to turn to the creation. That's what Paul's saying. People who turned away from the Creator and then turned to the creation to worship the creation. That's what evolution does. It's all about worshiping the creation because there is no God. But for those of us who believe in the God of the Bible, we know that he's a supernatural God who created the natural universe and has put in its place natural laws by which he governs or controls it. A supernatural God created the natural universe 
and then put natural laws in place to govern the natural universe he created. But listen, at any time, if he chooses to, he can suspend or work contrary to those natural laws if it suits his purposes. And when he does, we say, wow, a miracle. For God is not a miracle. Because for God, it's just natural to who he is. He's almighty. And he can do whatever he wants to do. As he said in, the script, in Scripture, he said, I am the Lord. Is there anything hard for me? Or, as the angel Gabriel said to Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. When he said, you're going to have a child without uh, knowing a man. We look at it and go, wow, that's a miracle. For us, it is. But for God, it's just natural. He can do whatever he wants. He's not subject to these laws uh, as we are. When I come across somebody that has a real problem with miracles, I often ask them, do you believe in the very first verse in the Bible? In the beginning, God created out of nothing the heavens and the earth, the physical universe. Oftentimes, people say, well, yeah, I believe that. Then I say, well, if you believe that, everything else is easy. I mean, honestly, think about that. If you believe the first verse in the Bible, then why are you having a problem believing anything? Uh, that God could raise the dead? Why is that such a big issue? He can give life to a person in the first place. Why can he give it back to them? He's God. And we see all throughout the pages of Scripture, guys, Old and New Testament, God using the supernatural to testify to his existence and power. Uh, one of the primary examples in the Old Testament was the Exodus and how God parted the Red Sea. In fact, as you read the Bible, that is the one miracle that God always refers back to. It's like the top miracle in the Old Testament. It's the one that defines God, in a sense. Okay, He always points back to it in the Old Testament, how he parted the Red Sea, led his people out of Egypt. That was the miracle that caused this group of people to become a new nation and to eventually live a new life in this promised land of Canaan, right? In the New Testament, you know what the premier miracle was that God always points to to demonstrate his power? You know what it is? The resurrection. That was the miracle that allowed us to become a new nation. Uh, the people of God. And to someday live in a new country. A heavenly country called heaven. We see in the book of Joshua I'm just talking about the miracles that God has done. There's so many, obviously. In the book of Joshua, we see how God parted the Jordan River at flood stage and how he caused the sun to stand still in the sky for almost a whole day, right? Now, and I understand why he came against this. Martin Luther, who was a contemporary of Copernicus. In fact, Copernicus died three years before Martin Luther, so they, they lived at the same time. Copernicus was the guy who, who said no, Everything is not revolving around the earth. The earth is, and the other planets are revolving around the sun. He was uh, almost uh, killed as a heretic because the church had always believed the earth was the center of the universe. Everything revolved around the earth. And Martin Luther refuted what he said, and he quoted out of Joshua, where Joshua said to the sun, stand still in the valley of Agilon. Martin Luther said, see, he said, the sun stands still. Well, we have to understand the Bible often speaks poetically or you know, even I was years ago reading how that the uh, Marines, one of their slogans was that we are in the four corners of the earth. Well, they, the Marines know there's, the earth isn't square. 
Sometimes we say things, though, that we are, we're not trying to be scientifically accurate. We're making a point. So Martin Luther kind of refuted what Copernicus said. But uh, So God had to cause the earth to stand still, although he said sun stands still, because everyone thought the sun was moving. So he said, you know, but okay. Um, we also read uh, how through the ministers of Elijah and Elisha, he worked numerous miracles, even raising the dead. Those two guys really were used by God to work miracles. But skeptics still protest by holding on to the belief that miracles are impossible. Uh, but as Pastor Chuck Smith said in his book, Living Water, I quote him, a miracle is something that is humanly impossible, but divinely simple. The difficulty of anything must always be measured by the capacity of the agents doing the work. When God is the agent doing the work, talk of difficulty is absurd, end quote. It's only you know, impossible for us to do a miracle. It's not possible for God, right? Now, guys, we know that in the New Testament, Jesus worked many miracles like walking on water, turning water into wine, multiplying small amounts of food, and feeding thousands of hungry people. He healed the sick, raised the dead, calmed the storm. In fact, he did so many miracles that John said at the end of his gospel in chapters 20 and 21, many other things Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. I can't write them all down. All the books in the, universe, the world couldn't hold them. But I've written these down, these miracles, that you might believe he's the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. So Jesus did many, many miracles. And uh, we see how God continued to work miracles during the book of Acts, primarily through Peter and Paul, as we said, but he also used people like Stephen and Philip, and that's important because he didn't just use apostles. There are those who say, yeah, the apostles were used because they were the ones God was trying to prove were representing him, and the words that they were speaking came from him. But God used others that were not apostles. Stephen and Philip were two examples. And that brings us up to an important point as we wind this down, guys. Did miracles cease with the end of the apostolic period, the end of the first century? Many in the church say yes, I say no. I'm not the only one, all right? Look, God has always been the God of the miraculous. Again, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you read the reports from missionaries around the world, especially in third world countries, as people in these countries put their faith in Jesus, these are people dirt poor oftentimes. They don't have access to doctors and medicine and hospitals. They have nothing. When they accept Christ into their life by faith, they trust God for everything. Their faith is so childlike and pure. God is working miracles. Wherever, listen, wherever God is working, the supernatural is happening. Mark it down. Mark it down. And we see many stories in the mission field of God working in some dynamic ways. I'll, I'll share one story with you. I, I've shared this before, but let me share it again, just a little different uh, angle on it, okay? Years ago, there was a woman, a very devout Christian. She was uh, in her early 80s, and she felt that God was laying it on her heart. Now, she's in her early 80s, okay? She believed God laid it on her heart that she was to go to Chile and be a missionary. So she contacted, I don't know how many mission organizations, to see if they would sponsor and send her. Well, of course... She was so old that they didn't want to spend the money to invest in her to train her. Uh, so they just said politely, ma'am, we, we, we can't. We, we just can't spend the money. You're just too old to, to, to send in the mission field. Okay, not to be deterred, she sold everything she had and moved on to Chile. 
And she started ministering down there. And she was ministering to one tribe down there and talking about Jesus and so on. And uh, one day, there was a knock on her little hut or cabin, wherever she was living. And one of the chief's men, the Braves or whatever they were called, said, um, the, the chief wanted me to come and get you because his son has just died. And um, he wants you to raise him from the dead because you've been talking about, you know, Jesus and how he raised the dead. So will you come and raise this, his son from the dead? She's like, oh, Lord. You know, and all the way over, she's praying, Lord, you know. Well, obviously, God set this whole thing up, right? And so she goes, and just simple prayer of faith, and she prayed over this young guy, and God raised him from the dead. And it led the entire village, and then all kinds of other villages around them, to Christ. God will use these things as a witness to show people who he is, right? So why doesn't God work more miracles in America? Once again, because of our unbelief. But we need miracles. For people to get saved, don't we? Jesus did more miracles than anybody, and when it was all said and done, they nailed him to a cross and killed him. Miracles won't force anybody to believe. Now, they will bring faith where there's a willingness to believe. They'll strengthen faith where it already exists in the hearts of God's people. Do we absolutely need miracles? No. But God will use them at times. Paul said that the Holy Spirit has given some, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, given some gift of miracles. And I believe all the gifts are still in operation today. So you say, well, then where are all these people with this gift? Okay, Pastor, where are these people? You believe the gift of miracles is still around? Uh, where are these folks? Well, there's somewhere out there in the world. Again, mostly in places where simple people believe in God with simple faith. These are poor folks who desperately depend on God for everything. They're not self-sufficient, proud, skeptical people that we see in our country. Now look, I personally don't believe this is a gift that God gives very often. That's another point I want to make. Where are all these folks? They're out there. But I don't believe God gives this gift very often, the gift of miracles. Why? It's too powerful a gift. It's too powerful a gift to put in the hands of too many because of all the attention it draws and the worship it fosters. You can read Acts 3 and Acts 14 where both Peter and Paul, after they were used to heal someone, uh, people wanted to worship them. Guys, not only do I believe that the days of miracles are not over, I believe we are about to enter, listen, a period in our planet's history that will be unparalleled in miraculous events. This will be both good and bad. The Spirit of God is going to be moving in the, it's going to be moving in the miraculous in the days of Antichrist's reign, primarily through the miracle of the new birth, but he's going to be doing healings, and no doubt, among Christians. But the devil will also be working through lying signs and wonders the Antichrist will do because he's empowered by the devil to mislead, to deceive, and destroy. You can read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 to 12. Right now, guys, what do we do? We draw near to God and allow him to work in us, through us, whatever way he chooses to work to touch people around us for Jesus. That's what, to be open, to be open. So a lot of people who are afraid of certain gifts of the Spirit and they're afraid God's going to force the gifts on them. No, I don't, 
I don't believe God will do that. You'll miss out, though, if he wants to give you some of these gifts. If we believe that supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, like miracles, are no longer in operation, like the people of Nazareth, okay, who lack faith, I'm convinced even though God wants to work today, even though he, as he wanted to work in Nazareth back then, but couldn't do many mighty works because of their unbelief in those days, the same is true in our days. We have got to be people of the word. We have got to remember that our God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, worked the miraculous in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and throughout the church age. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, he wants to use us to do something miraculous in these days. But if we don't have any faith, if we don't believe he's working like he used to, then we probably will miss out on seeing him work some incredible things in these last days. My, my challenge to you and to me is to let's be open. Let's be open to what God may want to do. Let's not limit God. Let's not say, well, you know, yeah, he's done in the past, but he's not going to do it in my life. He's not going to do it today. Well, then maybe he won't. But keep trusting him. He doesn't have to do it because we believe in him to do it. But he's not going to do it if you don't believe in him to do it. So let's keep trusting him and uh, being open. Like Isaiah, Lord, here am I. Send me. Whatever you want to use me for, I just want to be available. And may God begin to work in some incredible ways through us in these last days. Father, we thank you for uh, your, your word and how it tells us all the wonderful things you have done, Lord. And we want you to continue to work mightily in and through our lives. So, Lord, please, we pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly in and through us above all that we could ask or think. That, Lord, you would, Father, begin to move in some incredible ways. And, Lord, we pray for gifts of faith, too, that you might work in miraculous ways in and through us. So, Lord, we thank you for this study in your word because we need to know these gifts. And we, we need to begin to pray that you'd give us these things to be used for, by you for your glory. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.